Hello and welcome to Talking Transatlantic with Talina Kapari, somewhere in New Jersey in the United States. And somewhere near Newcastle in Great Britain, Richard Wilson. In this podcast, we want to find out what exactly is this thing that is keeping us in lockdown. That's right, and here in the United Kingdom, the government has said that the lockdown will continue. While here in the US, President Trump has begun talking about lifting restrictions. So, is there an end in sight, or do we need to stick it out a bit longer? So that's why we've got some real experts on the show. Not Twitter experts, real experts. Yes, and with my hair showing scars um, of lockdown because I tried to cut it myself and I cut it a bit too short on one side. You probably actually can't tell. Um, But what I did is I got this like, um, it was actually a nose clipping set for Christmas and it (laughs) it comes with like this little blade and like a guard so you can don't go too severe with it. But I still managed to. So on one side, I've got like a bald patch. It's about centimetre squared. Um, but who cares? Because I'm not going to um. <laughs> <laughs> So how about you, Talina? What are you, are you? Have you left the house? Have you actually walked outside? Well, luckily I'm in suburbia in Jersey, so we can take walks. So that is a plus of being, you know, not in a city. Um, but that's okay. I, I don't wash my hair as much as I did before because nobody sees me, but that's okay. So <laughs> the, the hair problem isn't as bad as it could be. Well, according to um, psychologists, uh, or the one I'm married to at least, um, you're meant to have a structure. So what, what you're supposed to do is supposed to get up in the morning and have a shower and get dressed. So far, my record is 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Actually, no, I tell a lie. My record now is... Uh, five o'clock in the afternoon because I haven't had a shower yet today um, and the boys usually run around in their pajamas until lunchtime because I never have time to get dressed I'm just, I sound like a bad parent now don't I no. they, are, they, are, they are very young so I get away with that That's okay okay. <laughs> okay so so yeah in this podcast what we're going to do is we're going to try and find out exactly what this uh, I always have trouble pronouncing like that Rona, like the beer yeah like the beer yes with no app- no connection to the beer at all. I can say this word normally, I just can't say it while the microphone is it is coronavirus or COVID-19, as we're calling it, and why it makes us so ill. So jo- joining us over the West Coast, we have our expert, Adon, Dr. John Daly, who is a professor of, I can't even Emetrius, Emeritus of Geriatric Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. Uh-huh. And also over there in California, we have, back by popular demand, Professor Peter Tobias, and uh, he's a retired research scientist who used to work uh, and study in uh, inflammation and immunology. So I think these are the guys we need to be talking to. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on our show. Okay. So we know that coronavirus is a virus, as the name suggests, but what exactly is a virus? What is it? John, you want to do that? Oh, Peter, I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> All right. Well, a virus, a virus is a, a is a is some nucleic acid, which is the genetic material, uh, inside a covering of protein and fat. Uh, but that's pretty much all. The virus doesn't have 
any mechanism of reproduction within itself. It doesn't have any uh, way of propagating. Uh, in order to propagate and make more viruses, it has to invade a cell, a living cell, which has the machinery to make proteins, to make lipids, to, uh, to, to utilize energy. And, and so the virus is a very simple structure, uh, but, and it, it relies on infecting other cells. In the case of this particular coronavirus, it's human cells, but, but all organisms have viruses. Plants, fish, even bacteria have viruses that infect them. So it's kind of a universally obnoxious life form. But there are probably also viruses that uh, like, like our bacterial microbiome, there are probably viruses that are very important to our health, not just our ill health. Um, I think it's a, it's a fascinating field. Okay. So, so that's a virus. So why are we social distancing them? Why are we staying at home, keeping away from others, got, got a two meter, do you, do you use imperial or metric in the States? Is it, do you talk about meters or do you talk about feet? Feet. Feet. So two meters, what's that, about seven foot? Yeah, we, we usually say six feet separation, but it, more yeah. accurately, it would be seven. So why is that? Why are we keeping indoors, keeping away from other people and, and, and not getting, we can get to like, what, two meters away from them, but we're not going any closer? What would you say about this, Dr. John? Well, you know, the, the, the virus we know is spread by uh, aerosol droplets. And the, the six feet was, was, I think, a number just kind of pulled out of the hat to just kind of figure, how far does a, a cough or a sneeze go before you, you know, dissipate? Uh, I don't think it's based upon any actual measurement of, of this, except that it felt that six feet was safe. I saw one article coming out recommending 10 feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so pretty soon we're going to be waving at each other from mountaintops. <laughs> but uh, it's... If you're closer than, than six feet, the idea of a mask being something that, that uh, controls the spread of, of droplets of, of uh, saliva and stuff whenever you cough, sneeze, or speak. So this is why the, some people have talked about wearing masks. Other people have said that they don't make any difference. What's the, what's the, um, what, what's the truth about masks? <laughs> well, <laughs> The mask is more probably more effective at keeping the spread of the virus from somebody who is infected. So, you know, we know that about 20% of people approximately show no symptoms of the virus, but they're still capable of spreading it. So if they're wearing a mask, it's decreasing how much of a spray that they put out there. It has, it has effectiveness that way. If you're looking at a mask that's going to protect you getting infected from someone else, you need a higher quality mask. And, and which is, I think, one of the reasons that they're saying that the N95 masks need to be uh, saved for medical professionals because they're the ones that are at highest risk of getting exposure. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. So um, when you hear stories of, of doctors, nurses wearing surgical masks, that's really not going to protect them. Not as much as an N95 mask would, but it does help to protect somewhat. So we see better than nothing, basically. Better than nothing, yes. Okay. And now, uh, also, now how, why does washing hands stop spreading the disease? The whole 20-second wash your hands, do you believe that does work? So, yeah, well, hand, hand washing is probably still one of our most effective uh, strategies in dealing with infectious disease. I mean, you touch the world with your hands, and you pick up the virus on your hands, and you know, one of the things that a mask does is it, it helps to prevent this, going and touching your face. Because if you've got virus on your hands and you touch your face, that's a way that you infect yourself. So the, the, the hand washing is just to decrease the viral load uh, that you're exposed to. So what is it then which makes us so ill with a virus? Um, you know, why do uh, some people not get as ill as others? That's a good question, Richard. Yeah, That's well, why I asked it. <laughs> <laughs> we all have individual immune systems. Uh, some people are more effective at you know, controlling the virus than others. There's been some, some stuff written about what they call a cytokine storm, which is just the fact that some people have a very pronounced immune response to this virus. So they release a lot of inflammatory mediators. And that's a lot of what seems to be causing the respiratory illness is that it's an inflammatory response in the lungs. Peter, perhaps you can comment a little bit on this you know, from an immunological standpoint. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I would be happy to if I really knew something about it, but um, the true, I think that for me, there are two interesting points. First of all, obviously the virus gets to the lungs because if you inhale one of these droplets, that's where the droplets go. Um, and so those are the tissues that it first sees and that's where it first infects you. But What's not clear to me is why it stays in the lungs. Why doesn't it get taken up in the circulation and passed to other organs? Why are the lungs the ones that seem to get the sickest? I don't think that's very, I don't think anybody knows that. And I, I also don't think anybody knows why some people, you know, apparently get infected with the virus and show no symptoms at all. And others, you know, are desperately ill for a long period of time. I mean, that's true with other infections as well. Um, and it's, it's kind of at the heart of this movement to, uh, called individualized medicine or personal medicine. Um, but that's really in its infancy. And, and, uh, and I don't think anybody really clearly knows why one person gets a lot sicker than another. Yeah, and why it triggers such a you know, robust immunological response in some individuals and others, it doesn't seem to bother at all. Right. Yeah, because a lot of the, so some of the symptoms are our own immune system actively fighting the virus. Is that right? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, that is right. That's exactly what your immune system is designed to do. And, and what happens is that it recognizes the invader and it sends out chemical messengers, uh, cytokines and other things that sort of activate the immune system to kill off this invader. Um, and, and it uses, in order to kill things, it uses molecules that are toxic and that's why you get sick. Yeah. Now this is a big thing. We personally are doing uh, only uh, grocery delivery. Do you believe that this is safer or do you think the groceries could be contaminated? Because a lot of people are taking Clorox and wiping down everything they get delivered. Some people are just taking packages by hand, as Richard said, in the UK, if someone brings something, they just take it. Some people leave cardboard boxes outside for 24 hours. What would you gentlemen say about that? Uh, I think it's tough to know. Yeah. I think it's 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 called an abundance of caution. Um, it's kind of like the it's kind of like washing your hands all the time. I mean, if, yeah. Conceivably, if someone who was delivering your groceries was infected and spreading viruses, and you touched those groceries, and then you know transfer that virus to your mucosal membranes, you could get sick from it. You know, every time, every sort of, it's kind of like social distancing. The further apart you are, the less likely you are to get infected. So wiping down your groceries is, you know, is not harmful, certainly, to, to you or the groceries. In well, my mind, it's probably not a major source of infection. Well, where I am, just because the, you know, there's so many coronavirus cases, especially that we're so close to New York. So everyone's only doing online delivery now. Like no one's going to the grocery store. They don't have to. So yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Um, I'm just going to say that I can hear barking, but I think that's your dog, Talina, is it? That is my dog. Oh, but then I keep my dog. dog. <laughs> my, dog, my dog heard your dog, so he's running outside thinking that there's dogs outside. It's your dog, California. Yeah, sorry about that. I, my dog's yeah. thinking. We don't mind. I like. I love dogs. Okay. How many dogs do you have, Doctor John? You have like five. No, you have a lot. I feel like. I have living at the house right now ten dogs. Wow. I'm surprised the, as quiet as they are. <laughs> <laughs> what type of dogs are they? Just to digress. Uh, most of them are Sholo Exquintlies or Mexican hairless. Oh, right. So what do they look like then? Uh, well, they, Nothing like John. They, <laughs> <laughs> they, they come in different sizes. You know, there's small ones and then there's medium-sized dogs that get up to 50, 55 pounds. Wow. And they have, they have uh, no hair. Well, they have a little hair on the top of their heads and their tip of their tail. <laughs> so actually i can tie in dogs to our discussion i oh, was uh, yeah look at this, how smooth this I know, that's another topic. Yeah. so yeah it was on the radio and we got this vet in and the vet said um dogs cats seem to be susceptible to like uh, coronavirus disease but dogs aren't really susceptible and can't spread it have you heard this yeah, yeah. This, this, there were actually some studies done in China looking at this, and they showed that they could, they could infect the cats with coronavirus from a human source. It took a pretty high viral load, and but the cats did not seem to shed much virus. So there was 
a feeling that the cats could catch us from catch it from us, but less likely that we would catch it from the cats. And dogs did not seem to uh, pick up the virus at all. So uh, that was a fairly small study, but it you know it's the only study that really applied some good science to looking at this. Ah, uh, that gives kind of gives us a bit of a glimpse of a weird dystopian future where dogs and cats take over and uh, <laughs> hopefully not. Um, I think maybe this is a good point just to, uh, to go for the news. Okay, so Richard, have, did you find anything interesting you wanted to talk about? Oh, I did. Oh, I good. did. So there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around connected to coronavirus. Um, and my favorite one at the moment, which I actually read in the Sun, which is a um, tabloid paper in the UK, tabloid code for trashy toilet paper. <laughs> um, so, and the headline is China urged to tell truth after claims coronavirus originated in Wuhan lab during risky tests on bats. So, apparently, um, Bundling scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology accidentally spread the killer virus during uh, risky coronavirus tests on bats. And this apparently is what the American and British intelligence officials uh, think might be the case. So uh, a patient zero, who was the first person to contract COVID-19, allegedly, this is all allegedly according to uh, this article in The Sun, was an intern there. And, uh, and this person infected her boyfriend, um, and then off it went. Uh, and, and Donald Trump's at the heart of this, said that the U.S. was trying to establish if coronavirus first crossed to humans during bat tests. So um, what do we think? <laughs> Is that just like a crazy conspiracy theory? It sounds like it to me. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do have this whole thing in in a lot of places in Asia where there is uh, exotic animal trade, exotic you know exotic animals introduced into the diet. So there's lots of ways to to get these viruses into the human population. Uh, I don't think it really took. Uh, I don't believe it came from the bats. A lot of people are saying well, that it may have come from the bats, but not not a lab bat, not a bat in the lab. Yeah, yeah, right. Because you know we have lots of examples of things coming from bats. Uh, you know, there there are viruses that, that go back and forth between bats. Uh, Ebola is felt to have come initially from bats. That's it's. Uh, I read somewhere that couldn't eat bats. People eat bats. <laughs> People in parts of the world do eat bats, and that's that's largely how this happened. Yeah. Well, in China, they eat very many weird things. Because I thought Chinese <laughs> when I was teaching the kids in China, I mean, they have dogs for sale. They they do eat dog. I mean, it's crazy what they eat, but that's their culture. So you know. <laughs> so, what, well, Selena? What have you seen in the news? I found this article I thought you would appreciate because this was all over American news, but probably not in Britain because, you know, coronavirus in Corona is a beer. A 93-year-old, you'll find this funny, Richard, Pennsylvania woman, um, she posted 
sign saying need beer, 93 years old. And she received from Coors, I need more beer over like 200 boxes of beer was delivered to this 93 year old lady. And it went viral. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know what a 93 year old is going to do with all that beer, but I mean, people <laughs> really wanted to donate to this lady. <laughs> she was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So actually, you just reminded me there, there's, a, there's a guy in the UK and he's 100 next week. He was a captain in the British Army in World War II. And he said um, what he would do is he'd walk up and down his drive with his Zimmer frame. And he would walk up and down it until he um, raised a million quid uh, through GoFundMe or something like that. I, I'm not quite sure, but the last I heard, he had like, raised 20 million for the NHS. Wow. It's wow. amazing. I mean, it's good, to hear, it's good to hear that some people are, are, are being generous. We have a lot of people in California who are objecting to the fact that the governor says that the state should help out the the non-documented population people oh. complain about that quite a lot without realizing that those are the people that that fix their roofs and mm-hmm. take their food and build their homes and yeah it's I don't know so no yeah. I, haven't, I haven't I haven't found anything very amusing in the news these days <laughs> well that was the news. That's an interesting point you're making there, Peter, about um, because you don't have universal health care in the United States. And is that becoming, I would imagine that would become a problem when trying to deal with something like uh, this epidemic. I think it's a huge problem. I think, uh, I mean, first of all, first of all, people don't have access to, to the health care that they need to get better. And, and, and therefore, those populations serve as a reservoir of the virus, um, you know. And, and by and large, those are probably the people who are delivering your delivering your groceries, and consequently, you know, they have they they carry the virus around. I think it's a huge problem. It's a disgrace, to tell you the truth, that we don't have universal health care in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just before this this. Um, before this pandemic erupted, uh, the government of the UK, who's a, they're the conservative government, so they're the, obviously they're the, 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 the more right wing than the, the two main parties of the two main parties, uh, and they were, there, were, there, were, there were lots of concerns that the NHS would be reduced in size, and they would, they would go for the NHS, and also for the BBC, which is um, which is a, a publicly funded, not funded through taxes, it's funded through a license fee, but it's a publicly funded organization that broadcaster and um and it looked like those two things were in the sites for the government to um start to diminish and one thing that's happened through this outbreak is the importance that the nhs absolutely but also the bbc as our national broadcaster have proved to be extremely important in these uh, difficult times to the point now that we've got a prime minister who people thought who, who has actually had his life saved, which he openly says because he was very ill with coronavirus and was in intensive care. But we've gone from this prime minister who we thought might try to diminish the NHS to standing outside Downing Street every Thursday night at eight o'clock, joining in the national clapping uh, of support for the NHS. So 
it's you know a lot of um you know a lot of people say that this virus uh, outbreak has made us reassess what is good and what was good about the UK well i think i think that's an i mean that that's an interesting phenomenon it's just another example of how having an important politician who gets sick can 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 be beneficial. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've had any number of, of, of medical institutes founded in our in, in our government by a senator who has a kidney problem or a liver problem or a heart problem. Uh, it would be a great benefit if Trump or some member of his family would come down with the coronavirus. Um, yeah, I mean, not to wish ill on anyone, but it's... Um... It, it, it does bring it makes it hit home doesn't it that it's a you know the it's everybody's everybody counts and uh not everybody has a help medical insurance in the in the u.s well i'll i'll just i'll just indulge my 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 progressive bent a little further and i mean the you know, in this country, the inequality, and I'm sure it's not fundamentally different from what you folks have in Britain, but, you know, people can go off to Jackson Hole and, uh, or to wherever they have their retreats if they're wealthy and stay safe, you know, and, and the rest of the people are left behind. The people who are left behind are the ones who don't have the health care and who have, to, who have to keep working. Um, it's it's just a it's just a travesty. Well, yeah, I mean we we think about it because we've obviously got the back garden and we can go out there um, and um, there, there's been lots of reports that the the people who are suffering the most are the people from lower incomes, people who live in flats, high rise buildings can't get outside. Um, I mean at least everybody get, has access to the NHS over here, but um, yeah, those those inequalities are still evident over here well here the highest fatality rates are apparently in the african-american community mm -hmm. and and they are traditionally underserved by medicine and by many other things in our society so it's i mean in a way it, it's a foregone conclusion that they should suffer more than than you know the, the privileged class the other the more privileged mm. class. there's calls in the press a lot um, of when is this lockdown going to end? Is it dangerous to even start thinking about that right now? Because I went out to take um, some some groceries up to my wife's parents' house, um, and I was surprised by how just a couple of days ago I was surprised to see how many people were out. You know, making the most of this um, one form of exercise a day, which you're allowed to take in the UK, as a reason for going outside. Um, and there's, is, is there a worry that if we start talking about ending the lockdown right now, just when it's maybe starting to look like it's having an effect, it, it might people might start flouting the rules a bit? Well, I think there's plenty of people who are flouting the rules as it is. But, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't think anybody has a good plan for coming out of this. I mean, the, what we hear here is that, we have to come out to rescue the economy, not how should we, at least from the politicians or some of the politicians, not how should we do it in a logical and safe manner. Um, most of the medical community, I think, 
is a little more cautious. Our, our sort of hero, Anthony Fauci, uh, who's the, um, what is he? He's head of one of the branches of the National Institutes of Health, um, is, is pretty cautious. And I think some of the governors are quite cautious. Well, I don't think that there's a clear understanding of how you actually get people out and how it should be done. And I mean, of course, it's going to be difficult to manage because people tend to do whatever they want. But, but uh, what the, you know, exactly, for example, I mean, you can, you say, well, we have to wait until the level of infection becomes less. Well, how much less? How much less does it have to go down before we risk having another surge of infections when people do go out and start to uh, to fraternize? Uh, I don't think anybody really understands that. John, do you have a yeah. sense of it? No, I, I think because we probably will see some degree of a surge whenever we open up, you know, from the lockdown. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the big unanswered questions, I think, is does this virus give us immunity once you've had it? We don't know enough about it to say that, you know, we've talked about an antibody test to show people who have had the virus and have recovered from it, but we don't know if that antibody is going to mean that they actually have immunity to reinfection or how fast the virus is going to mutate. You know, flu viruses, we have to update the influenza vaccine every year because flu viruses uh, mutate rather rapidly and coronaviruses may be the same. That's an interesting point. I have a couple friends who are nurses in New York and they got the virus and now they're back at work and they were like, oh, but I'm immune. So it's okay. But are they immune? That's we, we don't know for sure. We're, you know, we're starting to gather some of that information and, okay. you know, in, in spite of what Mr. Trump says, I think the World Health Organization has done a remarkably good job from the beginning with this. And uh, if more countries had listened to the guidelines of the World Health Organization, we might not be in quite the situation we are. Mm -hmm. Yes, it, it does seem strange that in the middle of a global pandemic that the president feels that they haven't done a good job, so he cuts their money. So which is going to make any work they do incredibly hard, much harder. Well, the other thing is we had, you know, funding for a response to pandemics in this country until about two years ago and uh, when Trump uh, cut that funding. <laughs> so the same pattern. Oh. I, I, actually, I was when I was heard about um, reading about Trump deciding to to cut the funding and i was looking into it i found that so the uh, the u.s government biggest fund uh, 400 million next biggest country to fund is the uk but they're not the next biggest funder the next biggest funder after the u.s government is uh, bill gates and his wife from the from, from their foundation so that um and he was obviously voicing his concern of the cuts for the funding um but they're um you know, it's good that we have these philanthropists, you know, the likes of um, Bill Gates. It is a bit of a shame that it comes down to a very wealthy man with a lot of money rather than the world's richest, most powerful nation to, to, to be the big. He is, he is now the biggest funder of the World Health Organization. That's right. amazing. 
it is a case that um, that not all um, diseases which we immunise at the moment, uh, our own response if we've been vaccinated does, doesn't always last forever. Is that that's why we get booster injections on 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 different illnesses, um, and obviously with the um, the flu vaccine, as you were saying, that that sort of drifts slightly every year, and I have to update it. How close do you think we are to a to a a cure with this current uh, coronavirus? Well, a cure, I mean, a vaccine, I guess a vaccine is a sort of a cure. A cure, I think of usually meaning a drug being involved. I think there's a number of articles in magazines these days about people working on, on drugs that would cure viral diseases, but generally speaking, there are not too many of them because really it goes back to the biology of the virus. The virus, there's not much to a, there's not much to a virus that's unique to the virus because the virus is propagated by us. So it's difficult to come up with a drug that'll cure the virus. The best, the best thing really is the vaccination, um, which is more of a preventative. Um, and that, that's what has eradicated polio, for example, I think eradicated or closely. So, um, you know, it's our own, it's, what it comes down to is that it's our own immune systems that are the most effective in protecting us the, uh, and stimulating it with a vaccine is, is about the best kind of prevention we have. You know, it's possible to gain immunity to almost anything. And I think, and certainly the immunity we gain to the flu is a huge help in keeping people protected from the flu, even though we have to kind of revise that program every year. But uh, a drug cure for this coronavirus, I think is, is... You don't think it's going to happen in 18 months? That's a, they could have a vaccine though. That time well, the vaccine, right. the vaccine, I think, will happen. You do think a vaccine will happen? I think the principles are understood. Knowing that it works is another story. Uh, but um, but the principles of how you vaccinate people and, and and how to go about it are pretty clear by the by this time. So, uh, John, there's been a lot in um, talks about the press about herd immunity. And um, we were saying this last time when we talked to Peter that- I'll ask you questions all day long. Just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have uh, a place to be. Just uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, put up a white flag and say, help me and I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> so, so a lot of people over here got a bit upset saying, how dare you use the word herd immunity? We're not cattle, but herd immunity is <laughs> yes. a, a real thing. And it, and it, and, and that, that is um, something which we could benefit from because does, does it mean more a, a significant amount of people have got natural immunity to a, a virus? Well, not yet. We will have a herd immunity to, to COVID-19 a couple of years from now when enough people have had it or we have, have uh, developed a vaccine. The thing is, COVID is a, you know, the coronavirus is a novel virus. We haven't encountered it in humans before, so there is no herd immunity. 
there will be herd immunity after uh, a significant number of people have the virus and recover, maybe. Uh, there will be more herd immunity once we have a vaccine. But with a novel virus, there's no herd immunity yet. John, just take a second and explain what herd immunity actually is. Well, herd okay. immunity, yeah, that's, that's a good point. If you have a population and you have a, a virus coming into the population, if 70% if of the people in the population have already seen that virus and have immunity to it, that means that only 30% of the population is susceptible. So it decreases the risk of the virus being transmitted from person to person. The, the larger proportion of the population that is immune to the virus, the lower the risk to the people who aren't. And there goes my dog again. Yeah. <laughs> my, dog so, heard, my dog heard your dog, so now <laughs> looking for the dogs, but they're involved with They're setting each other off. Um, so, so the less people, so the more people who are immune, obviously they're not going to pass it on. And it's, it's not a big problem because, you know, influenza kills, sadly kills a lot of people, but I suppose there's a herd immunity there. So we're not as, and, and vaccines, that's why we don't get, we're not so worried about influenza, <laughs> influenza as we are about COVID-19. Right, right. Well, a couple of differences here. It looks like COVID-19 is a, has a higher mortality than influenza does to some degree. And yeah, the fact that there is no immunity in the population to it at this point allows it to run rampant. So uh, I was looking for Tolina there. I, I was trying to get the dog to start barking at every wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's nice to hear a dog bark. <laughs> we were going to get a dog this Easter, um, but obviously we can't because you can't get out of the house to go and get one. So, um, and the boys want gerbils, and I said no because I didn't believe in keeping those animals in captivity. I've got off all my tangents again, Tolina, aren't I? I? I know, I know. It's okay. That's why you edit everything. <laughs> That's exactly. So, um, do you have any more questions? No, I think I think let, let's wrap up. Um, <laughs> and let everybody, and I'll go and have my 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 dinner. What it's lunchtime for you, Tolina, is it? Oh uh, yes, it's lunchtime. And breakfast time for uh, Peter and John. Yes. So this isn't going to go on forever. Then eventually, we're going to get an herd immunity. We're gonna we're gonna come get a, a virus, but at the moment, we've got a We've got to reduce, flatten the curve, as they say, flatten the curve and, and reduce infection. Yeah. It seems to me the interesting point about flattening the curve, I mean, if you figure that, I don't know, let's say a certain number of people are going to get this infection sooner or later, and if you flatten the curve, it means it's going to take longer, which means that the lockdown is going to take longer and we're all going to go stir Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't. But the thing, if you don't flatten the curve, you get a peak that completely overwhelms all the healthcare system, yeah. which everybody was worried about. Yeah. No, I understand the point. I understand the point. But it's clearly, it's clearly driving our president crazy. 
and uh, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't quite it's not that far. <laughs> What's that? It's not that far for him to go. We could, he could walk. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, actually, one of the things to talk about in the UK is an app to track people and where they're going. Um, as oh, yes. Social distancing. Is there anything in the States along those lines? No. Well, people talk about it, but we yeah. don't have the manpower or the expertise to do it. There are, there are. Uh, I was reading in the paper, I forget where, some, maybe a, one of the states is putting, trying to build up its ability to track people and track their contacts. I mean, the idea is that, that if you knew who, if I had the disease and you knew who I had contacted and potentially infected, that you could then talk to them and make them quarantine and, and stop the propagation of the disease from person to person. But we have, there's none, none of that going on here. Uh, at least none of any great significance. Uh, well, in China, they have everything color-coded on the phone, so you know... Uh, well, the, you know, the, the interesting thing is that I guess these, these uh, databases of maintained by the phone companies about who I call and who I talk to, uh, they can not only tell who I'm talking to on the phone, which doesn't... Which doesn't which doesn't propagate the disease, but through their location services, they know where I am. Yeah. So yeah. and so yeah. the, the 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 intelligence state could could track me and see exactly who I talk to and and do this tracking by uh, by computer, which brings a whole new light on the privacy issue. And well, this is that's probably a topic yeah. for another podcast. Yeah. Well, there you uh, go, Richard. We're good good <laughs> so um, just before we finish, has anybody anybody done something useful with this time we've got? Um, so, you know, all those jobs which go undone, um, but now we've got the time. The two things I've managed to do is, um, well, obviously this podcast, we've got this podcast going, we've talked about it for ages, we've had the time. The other thing we've had, um, I've man we've managed to get done in the this house is laundry, because normally we have like a, uh, a laundry basket packed with dirty clothes and now they're all clean and we can't fit them in all the drawers so is there anybody else who's managed to do something that they been planning to do for a long time and now they've got the time to do it well uh, my wife Fiona has managed to go through and sort through all the photographs that have been building uh. up for decades <laughs> you know, <laughs> organize them and 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 clear out ones that she doesn't want. So, so she's done that. That's why you're in Scotland, Richard. Oh, fantastic whereabouts. <laughs> she's from Arbroath. Oh, Arbroath Smokies. Love yes, them. yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you have the Robert Burns party every year. <laughs> you're still doing the, the Burns party every year, right? Yeah, we, we didn't have it this last year. First time in almost 20 years. <laughs> it's extraordinary times, extraordinary times at the moment. So that's that's great, you know, sort of through the, the photographs because we've got a hard drive full of digital pictures taken on thousands of pictures taken on mobile phones. Never, I mean, that would have to be a pretty big <laughs> lockdown to get through that. Uh, is there anything else you've managed to get get done? Well, I, I started baking bread again. 
So I, oh. I haven't baked in, in decades. And, uh, but it's been really hard to find yeast. Finally found some. But you know, oh. Flour and yeast, the stores are yeah. sold out. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Peter? Is there anything you've been, you managed to get done? Well, I've been doing a lot of gardening. Um, Me too. Me too. That's that's always a pleasure. I do, but I do that almost every year. But I guess I do have more time for it this year. You have got an amazing garden, Peter. <laughs> it's yeah. fun. It's fun. Yeah. Well, I more sparkles. Hello. Produce. We're yes. gonna have to start gardening here. So I told Dom. Luckily, he's Italian. That he knows how to garden. So. Um, <laughs> that's gonna be our new thing so we're ordering I, plants online <laughs> and you've got sparkles as peter was just pointing out to oh, sparkles. We, can, we can see it because we can see the video little baby uh, sparkles who does have a real name in case you want yes francesca <laughs> how, how old is she now Talina? she will be four months on the 19th Oh my gosh, four. Wow. Wow, I know. So now she's awake and she wants to be part of the party. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What have you got done other than um, being a full-time mom of a baby, Selena? Um, let's see. Well, I'm still, you know, full-time working for the online publication and just reporting all our local news. So um, nothing's really changed that much for me, actually. But it's, I have more a... help because my husband can't uh, go to work in New York City, so now instead of commuting, he can help in the mornings. It's <laughs> <was> really nice. <laughs> instead of that two hours just by myself, he can, you know, help feed and change diapers. Because my wife works for the NHS, she still goes into work, and yeah. the kids are driving me up the wall. I say this in every podcast, but, oh, they're just, uh, you want to, I don't know. I, Richard has like, so. <laughs> two boys, two boys, and um, uh, homeschooling is the worst. They shut the schools, and I'm supposed to be teach them, <laughs> teaching them, <laughs> and they have no respect for me. And they don't listen. Well, on that note, um, I think we should thank our guests for coming on our show. Yeah, so a big thanks to uh, Professor Professor Peter Tobias and uh, Dr. John Daly. <laughs> thank you very much for being here and being our actual experts. We appreciate it. Thank you. A pleasure. Great. Okay. So, Richard, as we will end our fabulous podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, so, hi, Talina. Hi. Oh, here's Talina's mom's here. Hello, Kathy. Hi. hi. <laughs> Three generations. <Hello>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, baby sparkles. Heard grandma's voice. Is it, are you grandma or what are, what are you, Kathy? How do, how do sparkles know you? Right. <laughs> I'm her grandma. I'm her nana, nona, or Kathy. We'll see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all we've got time for on uh, Talking Transatlantic. But remember, you can contact us. Well, you can contact me on Twitter at Richard W News. And I'm Tweeta Kuperi. So thank you. And next time. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.